and, and I don't know where Kieran and Michaela gone drawing, eh? Come say hello. You're not going to hide. Come here. Just these are friends um, from Durban, but they're also partners in the gospel. Um, uh, we're going to need another battery on this one. Sorry. Um, and uh, they, um, about three years ago, Stevie, about three years ago, they started, Steve and, and Michelle have had a heart for Africa for a long time, and um, they started traveling into Mozambique, the southern part of Mozambique, taking teams up, just traveling. While still working, Steve had a construction company, and, and they started traveling into the lower parts of Mozambique, and about three years ago, they came to us at the, the Glenridge Eldership and said, we've got a heart to do this thing. And so they just started traveling full-time into Mozambique with their two little girls, um, literally just getting in their car and traveling, taking people with them, building relationships. Um, Michelle's brother lives in Mozambique, working into the community in a really amazing story. Um, they've worked with um, rehab centers in Mozambique, but just seen amazing, amazing things going. So they are real um, warriors for the kingdom, doing this full-time now. They've just returned from a trip to Mozambique. They stick their kids in the car and travel 18 hours to the north and drive back down. And um, this is this couple. And then you have Vilma, who really is the matriarch in the whole system. But she's an incredible lady. I wanted to go to Mozambique probably a year before we came to Cape Town. And um, the, my cab wasn't going to do it um, on the sand dunes. So um, Vilma came with a solution of her Mitsubishi Pajero lent to me to drive in sand dunes. Anyone know that's a silly idea? That's just... <laughs> I even know that's a silly idea. But yet this amazing lady for the gospel and, and to see people go and travel into the nations just lent us her car while she stayed at home and worked that we could go and um, share the gospel in, in Mozambique. So these are the stories of everyday heroes. And, and I'd love to give a moment to say hello from Glenridge. Tell us how Mozambique is going and, and how you're doing. Vilma, just a quick one. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, great to be here. We, we obviously we bring greetings from Glenridge. It's good to, to see old friends. Um, yeah, the only faces old. we know. <laughs> old friends. It's strange to be in a in a church where we, we only know two faces. But yeah, <coughs> it's an incredible opportunity. We um, we've been on a bit of a roller coaster in the last two weeks. Literally, we've done probably four thousand kilometres. Um, up into Mozambique, and if you asked me three weeks ago where we're going to be, I'd never said Cape Town, but yeah, things have just worked out that way, and God is, God is just too clever. Um, he's, he holds everything together. Mozambique is going well. Um, we're making incredible inroads in, in the southern part of Mozambique. Um, the church is growing. We've got a, a base there now where we've literally just been given a, a huge section of land that we've able to put up a building and guys when they come and visit they've got a place that they can sleep and um, kitchen uh, it's just it's comfortable ish <laughs> yeah but it's uh yeah no it's good it's good to see god god moving and yeah uh, if i can if i can leave you with anything I, I would i would say it's a roller coaster but jump on because you'll you'll never be the same um we when we unable to do anything that we've done in our own strength and God has just come through for us day after day after day. So, yeah, it's great to be here, great to be with friends, and, uh, yeah. Hi, everybody. This might be new faces, but we at home, and God is good. Amen. Amen. 
good. We, um, we need men and women working in the corporate spaces, and, and we need men and women prepared to give up businesses to go into third world countries to share the gospel. I've been where they go. It's not incredibly comfortable all the time to take two kids and tow trailers so you can live and take your water with, but, but we need all of it. And, and the gospel calls us to do crazy things sometimes, and it's exciting. So real privilege to be back. I'm excited to preach this morning, and um, I'm preaching on Extreme Makeover Jesus Edition. Who has watched Extreme Makeover? Oh, come on. That was, it's not like a guilty kind of, am I allowed to? Who has watched Extreme Makeover? Who has cried in Extreme Makeover? My hands up. Check all the guys, put your hands down. Oh, yeah. But, um, I mean, that show has got everything. It's got like the emotional catch. You get the heartfelt thing. They've got the action when the bulldozers come in. It's got, it's got a bit of drama as they build up to the big unveiling and the bus starts moving slowly. You know if you've watched it. And then the favorite is the crowd shouting, move the bus, move the bus. I just, um, I love that picture. I love seeing people screaming and shouting afterwards. Wally spoke last week, and we were on this journey through Ephesians, and we're winding it down in the next three weeks. But Jesus gets a hold of lives. He gets our lives like a building, and he just gets to work. And he throws redemption in, and he throws justification in. He throws adoption in, which is the most beautiful, beautiful picture of his love. He throws his love, he throws his grace in, and it just keeps pouring and pouring. And at the end of that, there's, there's, a, there's a picture behind, there's a life, there's a story and behind that, there's the father screaming, there's people screaming, they're all waiting, and the unveiling is his hands, his life, his glory in our lives. And he's so committed to this picture. He's so committed to this picture. It's unbelievable. And, and I love that, that there's these great stories unfolding. Last week, while he spoke, and I heard it was outstanding, about Jesus, our ultimate wall demolisher and bridge builder. And um, he spoke from this scripture, and I'm just going to read a part of it. Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. See, Jesus comes in and he is the ultimate remodeler. He is the ultimate extreme makeover specialist. And it starts with this open planning. You know all these old homes that now get in and everyone just bashes all the old walls out. It's like just open plan. It's not a concept of this world. It's what Jesus does. He comes in and he breaks down the barrier lines. He breaks down the hostilities. He breaks these things down and he brings openness in our hearts and our minds. That picture of that building coming up is a, should be a picture of the believer's heart and mind. That's the visual image. And Jesus, all those years ago, he is our peace. He is the one. He is the one who allows himself to be pulled apart like that house. On that cross, he was pulled apart as the hooks went in, as those whips came down. He allowed himself to be pulled apart so we can be built up again. So that we can be put together emotionally, physically, spiritually, and relationally. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly beautiful. And this building project continues. 
Maybe you thought last week, you thought, well, that was just, that was it, the building project. You like the guy who has a builder in to get a quote, and then you ask the famous question, how long will it take? And he says, why are you laughing, Steve? Oh, you were a builder. And, um, and he says, one month. And you go, one month, and you plan your life. And four months later, you're living in a caravan down the road because you can't get back in your house. Not, not with Steve. Okay. Different builders, obviously. But it's this, this plan and this building project is ongoing. And stage one is breaking down the walls. Stage one is open planning so that Jesus and his glory can come in. So that more and more of Jesus can invade. And that before he starts to work on the outside, he gets stuck in on the inside. You know that? The gospel starts on the inside. Religion wants to start on the outside. Fix what's outside. Fix what people see. Jesus says, I want what's on the inside. Let me get in there. Let me break down the walls. Let me get stuck into the brokenness. And he open plans our hearts and minds. And I just want to touch on one thing, just the issue that I'm passionate about, an issue of prejudice. One of the greatest walls that come up, and we are so unaware of it, is prejudice. Jesus experienced major, major prejudice. In uh, John 1 verse 43, Jesus uh, speaks to Philip, and then Philip speaks to his brother Nathaniel. He goes after him, and he says, Nathaniel, we found the one. We found the one that prophesied. And Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? It is a statement full of prejudice. It is not a question. It is a, it's a statement that nothing good can come from Nazareth. Jesus experienced prejudice throughout. From his culture, from where he lived, all of these things. He wasn't even from Nazareth. Philip got it wrong. And if Nathaniel hadn't have woken up and hadn't have seen, he would have missed Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because of a prejudice. Jesus was from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up. In Nazareth. But we're all stuck and we get stuck at this point. And I'm telling you one of the greatest walls that Jesus is bringing down in the church. That the church can get stuck into the world around. Because we can't get stuck in if we still have these walls built up. These invisible dividing lines. And it starts with the questions we ask. In Durban it's a little bit crazy. It's what school did you go to? First question asked. And with that comes a whole bunch of presuppositions. A whole bunch of oh yeah. You get that look, like, mm. I know you. And I think Jesus wants to get in and he gets into the lenses we see people with. He gets stuck into our smallness. You know that? He wants to come into the smallness of a room that's three meters by two meters. He wants to break down the walls and get us into the big space of open plan living in our hearts and our minds so that we can reveal him to the world. It's an incredibly cool story. And he is so committed to it. I love this. Philip just says, come and see. When Nathaniel says, but can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip says, just come and see. Sometimes, because of prejudice, we don't even get a chance to come and see. And this is a little, I'm actually going to speak on this tonight. The issue of prejudice and the price of prejudice but it's, it's a little bit like the question, well, can anything good come from the southern suburbs? I mean, those oaks are under the mountain. What good can come from under a mountain? Can anything good come from Danun? Can anything good come from behind that hill where everyone bries indoors? 
And I'm touching on things intentionally, guys. These are limiters. They limit our ability. We stop opening up to people. We stop trusting. We stop believing for the miraculous that God can do in lives and hearts and situations. Can anything good come from an Afrikaans home, an English home, a Congolese background? And then we keep asking the question. We keep layering. What did you study? Oh, you didn't study. Do you watch rugby or soccer? Do you support the Stormers or the Sharks? That's an important question. May it's, it's maybe even a prejudice. Well, how old are you? See, you're younger than I thought, eh? I get that. It's like, jeez, we sit and we listen to you, you whippersnapper. Maybe it's, what church do you go to? And I'm making light of quite a big issue. I think a big issue to Jesus. And I know Wally preached it outstandingly well, but can we just, can we go hard at this thing of prejudice? And it don't go hard at others, go hard in here. Go hard in here. I had a prejudice. After my parents were liquidated and, and I went from a kid who would be given everything he needed to having to make it happen, I actually got a prejudice against my, my mates who I'd grown up with who got everything in life given to them. So at 21 years old, I'm walking around, I'd grown up with men who are my best mates, and actually deep inside of me is a prejudice because their parents pay for their studies and everything comes easy to them. That was my prejudice. Prejudice doesn't just look like black or white. Prejudice doesn't just look like a language issue or a background issue. Prejudice looks like anything that doesn't represent the heart of God. And if we are going to see the gospel explode in the city that we love, we have to deal with some of these things. And so we go to affront and go after some of our learnings and our understandings of where we grew up and how we grew up, whether it was right or wrong, and doing that in the lens of the gospel, not in the lens of our culture or context. Just a little aside. But I don't want us to be limited, and I don't want the walls that exist to hold us back from the gospel that's got to go. And it starts here. And it starts here. Love this king too much. Love this Jesus too much to allow narrowness to come. And then it carries on in Ephesians 2, verse 19. And this is where I'm going to major today. The great building project. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love the scriptures. I love the word of God. I love how it offends every bit of smallness, every bit of narrowness, every bit of limited thinking inside of me. I love the scripture. The message explains it like this. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your new home country. You you are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you 
fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. He holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape by day, shape day by day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. There's this amazing building project that's stage two. He comes in and he knocks all the walls out. He brings the space. But then what? Well, he starts with this amazing building project. And um, we get this picture. Paul takes us through that we were lost, how Jesus gets involved. The story of salvation breaks in. Breaks our heart for what breaks his. And then Jesus begins to speak. And Paul, like Jesus, is a master of metaphors. See, Jesus used metaphors. He said, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm all the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All these metaphors for great truths. And Paul here loses a great metaphor, three great metaphors for the church. We're just going to look at three Three metaphors as how they call us and what they call us to. The first one is foreigners and aliens or strangers and foreigners. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Consequently, because of, because of this, because of what Jesus has done, because of what his blood did on that cross, because he was the first stage of the great building project, not us. On that cross, he did it. He brought the space that we can enter into. The space that was the promise in the garden and he's calling us back into. And it's this incredible story. And two things, it's an amazing thing. He says, you are no longer strangers. It's quite a thing to be a stranger. It's like you're looking from the outside in. Strangers are those ones that you tell your kids, stay away from the strangers. Never talk to strangers. Struggling with that one with my kids. We're sitting in Durban on the beachfront. Ben just walks up to this random guy on the beach, puts his hand around him, just stays there like that. The guy doesn't know what's happening. Ben's just got his hand. He's like rubbing his head. <laughs> Still trying to teach our kids this one a little bit, educate them. But it's when you're a stranger on the outside looking in. And Paul is writing to the church. He's saying, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer on the outside looking in. No, you are no longer trying to get in to the in crowd. You're in because of Jesus. Only because of grace and all because of his blood, you're in. You are no longer strangers. And then he says, you are no longer foreigners. And I know there are many in our midst here who are from foreign lands. That's amazing. But God's still got to get into hearts. You saw in the very cities of Cape Town and Durban, xenophobic attacks years ago, revealing what really lies beneath some of the heartbeat of a city. And Jesus wants to break in and he wants to use you and me to break in, to break through those lines and to break through those invisible barriers, to cross over the barriers of wealth and status and past and history, to get over hurts and pains and prejudice, to get in that we can model a community, that this community is a sign and a wonder and a witness to the world. Not our Sunday meetings. Jesus didn't say start Sunday meetings that will rock the world and call them to come and do it. Do it better than Broadway. Do it better than the, the, the theaters of our city. He said, let's get fired up and let's get the glory of Jesus inside of us and let's go out and be witnesses to the world. And we're all on a journey in this process. 
But Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a very amazing man, said we no longer live on a passport. We have a birth certificate. So you're no longer strangers, but you're also no longer foreigners. You don't walk around saying, look, I'm a nationalized citizen. I've got my passport. I've got friends who moved to Australia a while ago, and they've just got their inductions if they get the paper. But somehow there's this underlying thing, well, they're still South African. When you get born again, you get born again into a new kingdom. You are born of that kingdom. You get the status of that kingdom. You get the privileges of that kingdom. You are no longer a stranger and you are no longer a foreigner. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And everything changes. And He calls us in and it's all because of Jesus. We get the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities. And because we have been saved by grace, we are brought into a new kingdom. We have a new anthem. We started with it this morning. Amazing grace. It's our anthem. Yes, we live in South Africa and I love our anthem of this nation. But the higher anthem over my life is amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That is the anthem that resounds deep inside of my soul. And we have a new flag. It's the bloodstained banner of Calvary. That crosses over borders of nations. That we don't sit this side of the world going, oh gee, what happened in Ukraine? That our heart bleeds for God's children. Bleeds for those who didn't know Him that were on that plane. Bleeds for what's going on in our world because we are not limited to our little boundaries and borders. That our hearts break up because it's His world that He died to save because He loves them so much. He's calling us to a bigger story. You know what's amazing? When we are citizens, we are no longer ignorant of who the king is. As we spoke a couple of weeks ago, we can know him as our status changes. And then there's the metaphor of a family. He says you're called, but you're also of the household of God. It's a deeper meaning. It's a deeper truth. He calls us into family. He doesn't just call us into a state. He says, I'm going to call you then into family. couple things about family. It requires a bit of unity. I had three older sisters. They are all drama queens. Like seriously, that's what they do. They sing and dance and more sing than dance. But, um, but now traveling with those three ladies in the back of a single car that we didn't have seven-seaters in those days, traveling from Durban to Cape Town many years ago, you need a little bit of unity to happen. Otherwise, there is chaos. But a couple of other things about family is there's a family likeness. You don't choose it. And maybe we look around, we see with natural eyes and we see difference. When we see with kingdom eyes, we need to see brothers and sisters. When we see with kingdom eyes, we don't see income brackets or areas you live in or your background. We see what Jesus has done. We see his banner over us. Not just a song that we sing, a truth that we believe. God breaks in. But a couple other things about family. You can't choose your family. You can't choose your family. They just come with the package. You arrive or they arrive, and it's like, they're there. Judah wanted a sister. He got a brother. He's not getting a sister. I told him a number of times. And, um, but you can't choose your family, which means you can't just 
Oh, that's just, I had a fight with that guy or he offended me, didn't look at me at church, we walk away. No, he's your brother, so you get over it. You have the conversations that need to happen and you move on and then we can model overcoming. You know who should model overcoming and dealing with conflict? The church. Not by not having conflict, but by having conflict and getting to the other side closer. I believe it with everything that's inside of me. You fight for each other. You believe the best in each other. That difference is celebrated in a family. It has to be. We always honor the Father. So there's the story that He brings us into a state. He makes us new citizens. He then brings us into His family, and we've spoken about it. But the one I want to focus on today is He calls us to be a part of His building. He says, in Him. So there's already victory because it's in Him, not because of us. The church will not thrive and survive and get to the end of the story because preachers are preaching well. The church will get to the end of the story because it's in Him. So we live with a confidence and courage to live it well. In Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. It's a deeper meaning. You see, as part of the building, well, let me start here. As citizens... We share a common country. That's cool. As family, we share a common bloodline. That's amazing. But as part of the building, we share an indivisible unity in God and to each other. It's a high standard he calls us to. Oh, I just love Jesus. It's me and my Jesus at home, TBN, and we just enjoy. I honestly don't believe the gospel Not permits that, but I don't think that's the big picture. I think the big picture is the bigger then. The big picture is space coming into our hearts. So we get over our pains and disappointments and the fact that people have hurt us. I've been in church all of my life. I've been hurt more by people in church than out of church. I'm just telling you. But am I going to live there? Or am I going to allow the grace of God to break in and keep breaking down the walls so that I can grow up because He is on a building project and I want to be one of those bricks. Just a brick in a wall. Just a stone pulled out by the master craftsman. Now it's an amazing thing. The citizens of a kingdom can be divided. Vote for different parties. Vote for different things. Do different things. Eat different foods. The, the members of a family can... can can be separated by distance. Sisters in America, Germany, we, Durban, we can be situ- separated by distance. But parts of a building and the stones of a wall cannot be separated. This is a high standard of the gospel. It's not a call for everybody to be best mates. You know that? And when this was written, this is not a picture of perfect, neat, corrobric. I don't think Corabrick existed two and a half thousand, two thousand years ago. I don't know. Maybe someone works for Corabrick and they know the history. But I'm pretty much banking on Corabrick wasn't around in Jesus' times or Paul's days, where they produced these lovely little red bricks that are all exactly the same. The analogy here is stones that come in different shapes. Some are big boulders, some are small, some are pokey, funny shapes. It's a little bit like the church. It's you and me. Some of you are a little longer, more pokey shapes. Some of you are just bigger. And I'm talking figuratively, obviously. Don't get offended. Some of you are darker stones. Some of you absorb water better than others. You know that? 
So when they come together and a master builder begins to build a wall, he takes this stone, the cornerstone. He's building a house, the cornerstone. He puts the cornerstone in. The cornerstone is Jesus. The cornerstone is not the man of the power of the hour who comes with the bling. The cornerstone is Jesus. Only Jesus. And every other stone gets built based on that one stone, Jesus. We sang about the cornerstone. You did well with your song choices this morning. You've obviously been praying, obviously. But, but it's Jesus. And then we begin to build and we take a big heavy stone. We put poof. And then because that's a funky, sta- a, 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 a weird shaped stone, we put another skinny one on top. And then that stone just doesn't fit. So the master builder gets in and he starts to cut off an edge. And he takes a chisel and he chisels off an edge. Are you prepared to be chiseled to be a part of his story? So that you can be put in the wall. Cut off the extras. Some stones expand more, absorb more rocks. You've got to put that stone next to another stone that doesn't. And that way the wall starts to become strong. The house begins to stand. The miracle is that God gets into us. He takes broken stones that are useless lying on the ground. He breathes his life into them. He makes them living stones like 2 Peter tells us. That we become living stones in him. The capstone. We become living stones. He takes living stones and puts them in a wall. But he doesn't leave us there. He begins to refashion and reshape. Sir or man. 90 years old or 9 years old, would you allow the fashioning hand of the master builder to come into your life? Not so that church looks good, but that his glory can come and indwell a house. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that prejudice comes down? Why is it so important that the walls get broken? Because God wants to inhabit this house, his house, his church. And he says it at the end of this amazing scripture. He says, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It doesn't say visits. So we want to just be a house that, that we, God can visit. So we have a conference and God will visit on that weekend and we just go back. God is this like part-time lover. He pitches up and then he's gone. And we settle for that. And I said it before, and I'm part of the story, but, but the prophet comes to town and everyone runs to church because the glory is going to be there then. And the next week is just normal church. No. He wants to live, live in this house. So he wants to deal and make space so that his glory can inhabit. Jesus is building these stones together, you and I. So the Bush family and their story that's different to my family, they make girls, we make boys. It's a different story. Their house looks and sounds and smells different to my house. It's a different story. The Matthews family, the Lorenz family living in Durban, we are all just stones. And it's amazing when you build, you put one on top and another one half on top and then some are below and some are above. Are you okay with people and, and, and stones being above and below you to make you stronger. He is building a holy temple. Not a temple of dirty stones stuck together by tenuous holdings that when the rain comes, it all washes away. A church that will stand. 
A church that will stand against oppression, that will stand when the enemy comes. A church that will stand because Jesus is in the house. And he built the wall. And he built a holy temple, not a dirty wall of stuck-together stones. Badly fitting stones. See, what's a brick on its own? Maybe it's useful for putting under a tire so your car doesn't roll away down a hill. Pretty useful. Maybe it's a good doorstop. You cover it with that furry material. I've seen, seen my grand did it. I know some of you have done it. You knit and crochet a little covering for a rock. And it looks nice. It's still just a rock behind a door. Sorry to break your hearts. But then I went on the internet and I found, well, what, what else could a stone be used for? And there's some clever people out there. One guy said, a telephone bill reduction device. Attach it firmly to the handset. <laughs> Another guy said, extremely heavy duty postcard. Might need more than one stamp. You could use it. Another thing for a stone is indestructible Lego for behaviorally subnormal toddlers. That could come in handy, actually. At our, a stress tester for washing machines in a laundrette, Or wheat picks for gentlemen who have been something to prove about their masculinity. <laughs> I wouldn't advise any of those things. But here's the point. A brick or a stone on its own is pointless. It can fulfill a funny little function. You are a living stone called out to be a part of a building in which he can dwell. You are a living stone called out of Solomon, of, of isolation. That's why Genesis 3, you see, sin happens and man isolates and God has to ask a silly question because he knew anyway, where are you? Because when we sin comes, the enemy wants to isolate us and God is saying, I am placing you in a wall. Living stone, and maybe you're a small little stone. Maybe you're a big stone. Maybe you're a long straight stone. Who knows? It doesn't matter. The issue is who's inside. The issue is that when Jesus shouts, move the bus, he's not looking for a house. He's looking for a home. This scripture is not about us. This scripture is not about us creating a church that's good for us. This scripture is us being the church that he will reside in, that he will call home. And I read it in, that, um, in the message. It said, what was it? In the message version, it said, um, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. And it's all in Him. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which He lives by His Spirit. Jesus is not building a house. Looks good, can stand. He's building a home where He wants to live, inhabit. So why do we deal with broken relationships? Why do we overcome offense? Why do we stretch and extend ourselves sometimes in the environments we place ourselves? Why do we take kids to meetings? It's not comfortable. It's because Jesus is building a home. And he's building a home to bring the lost and the broken, not so that Christians can feel cool in the war. He's building a home that represents diversity. That represents a place where prejudice has no place. A home where people are prepared to extend themselves. To love 
those who were previously unlovable to them because they are completely lovable to Jesus. Jesus is building a home. And we are a community who seek unity because we prize the presence of God, not because unity is a good idea. Because he says where the brothers dwell in unity, he will command a blessing. He doesn't break his promises. And we are bringing down the walls and building this community that will hold and inhabit the presence, his presence. Ultimately bring his glory. He did it with Adam and Eve. It was all about walking in his presence. He did it with Moses and Mount Sinai and calling. And, and that whole story was about a people learning to follow the presence of God. Not about a people and a bunch of rules on tablets. But here's the issue. Here's the application for our lives. A house doesn't make a home. A house becomes a home because of the life inside of it. Ask Keith and Sharon. They live next door to us. We put a big trampoline right next to their kitchen. And our boys jump up and down and go, Hello, Auntie Sharon, can I have chocolate? As they bounce up and down. Because there is life there, there is a bit of noise. Are you okay with a bit of noise? Are you okay with kids jumping up and down? Are you okay with all the people that you've got to help them through? And sometimes it looks like actually the music's a little loud for me, or sometimes it's a bit soft, and we all just deal with it, and we work, and we grow, and we get stretched, and we talk a bit more, and we come together again, and then we stretch out again, because God is an extending God. He extended His hand to a broken world. He extended His heart. He extended His broken Son. He sent His Son to become broken, so that we could be made whole. This is the gospel. This is the Ephesian story of what He is building. And the issue is Jesus is looking for a home in us, in our community, as we do it together. Why do we share meals? Because Jesus is looking for a home. Why do we get together sometimes to pray? Not because we have to do more church meetings, because Jesus is looking for a home. Why do we come together on a Sunday and sit with people sometimes we don't know, and some guy asks us to raise our hands and do things and stand? Because Jesus is looking for a home that he can inhabit, not visit. I don't want a casual visitation of God. I want my house and the community in which I worship to be a place of permanent residence for the master builder. That's the Ephesian story. That's what he's calling us to. Can I pray for us? Is that all right, Rob? Now, I've gone a little bit longer this morning, but it's just so darn excited to be with you this morning. But I love Jesus. Jesus, we just said this morning, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And, and I know every person here is on a journey. Different experiences, different pasts. And I pray, Jesus, would you come in and override our pasts? Would you come in and override our pains, our disappointments, so that the walls can come down, Lord? I pray even in this place, you're speaking to some Small elements of prejudice. Not even the obvious ones. But just prejudice that you're bringing down. In our hearts right now. And I pray, Spirit of God, do it now. Do it now. Continue to deal with the habits, the bad thinking. And set us free, Lord, so that we can be a house. 
a community that you would call home. That when we put up a sign on these screens saying, welcome home, the first person it's speaking to is you, Jesus. Not in this building, but in our hearts, Father. I thank you for this community. Thank you for the grace and lives here. Thank you for the stories of your grace. Thank you for those who are away on holiday right now with their families. Bless them, Lord. Safe travels, we pray. We give you all the glory, King. Amen.